Well, this morning we're here to, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. You know, that's the, the, the key tenet of Christianity is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You know, last a uh, couple weeks ago, um, Joseph was up here. He was ministering on the crucifixion and, and, and up to the death of Jesus Christ. And how many know that the, the, the death of Jesus Christ was super important? How many know that the death of Jesus Christ is, 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 a, is a key part of our salvation as well? But the reality is, is that Jesus' death was only part of the solution. His death was necessary, but his death alone saves no one. His death alone doesn't take care of it all because his death is necessary for his forgiveness. But for us to have life, we needed to have the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection is what actually finally fixed the problem that was inside of us. And his death alone would have never fixed the problem, the brokenness that's inside of each and every one of us if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the reality is, is his death forgave us for all of our sins. How I many you know that's a good thing? I want to be forgiven for my sins. I want to be clean. But you're still in a mess if the, if the problem inside of you was never fixed. We would, we would be cleansed, but we would still be the same people that we always were. We would still be in bondage to sin. In the book of Romans, Paul contrasts the, the nature of the, of, the, of the two men. He says, I, I, the one of them in hand, he says, I, I recognize the law of God. I agree with the law of God, but I can't do it. The sin inside me causes me to sin. He says that I, I recognize it as good, but it's impossible for me to not sin. But then he talks about that there is a, a, a solution in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the fact that he is risen. Him rising from the dead means that we rise with him in newness of life. And the part of us that was broken, the part of us that couldn't not sin, the part of us that was in bondage, that was a slave to sin and death, is broken free. We're made brand new. This is what I was talking about in Romans 7. He, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. And for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. Now, I can tell you, when I first heard about Jesus, I didn't quite get the salvation thing. And I knew I needed Jesus, but nobody ever told me that I had to be born again or really explained it to me. Well, nobody ever told me that I had to, to receive Jesus in my heart. And I saw this list of rules, this list of morality, the things that I knew I needed to do because I could read the Bible and see what God didn't like. Matter of fact, if you're ever curious about if a Christian's allowed to do something or not, just ask a non-Christian. They'll tell you if you're allowed to do it or not. They know. But the problem is, is I knew what I was supposed to do, but I couldn't do it. I remember I would lay in bed at night, and some of you have heard this and you laugh at me, but I would lay in bed at night, and I would lay out my list of sins, and I would say, God, please forgive me. And I would feel good, and I would go to sleep, and then I'd wake up the next day, and I would do them all over again. I remember when I was in high school, I used to smoke in, in high school, and, and I remember thinking, I can't wait till I'm 18, because then at least it won't be against the law. That's one less sin that I'm committing. Because I was still in bondage to sin. I hadn't really received Jesus Christ into my heart to make me brand new. I knew it was right, but I couldn't do it. And that's the thing about the law is that it only gives you a plumb line. It only tells you what you have to do, but it doesn't actually free you from those things. But when Jesus died, 
It was for the forgiveness of our sins. But when he rose again, it was for newness of life inside of us. And when you have a new life inside of you, you are finally free from the bondage of sin. You are finally free from the shackles of death. And people have asked me, do you think uh, Christians have to sin? Do you think, and I don't believe that we do. I believe that as you are born again, it is possible to live without sin. We have been completely freed from the bondage of sin. I also recognize that we still do. But praise God, do we have something better? That even if we mess up, we still have uh, Jesus who, who, who goes before us. We still have an advocate in him. But I believe 100% that Christians can live without sinning. Because we've been freed from that bondage, that, that brokenness. Because here's what happens if you just get forgiven. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 43 through 45. It says, now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and it does not find it. Then it says, I will return from my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live in there, and in the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. What Jesus is saying, if you just take out the bad stuff and you don't fill it with something else, then you just have a big giant void where something can come in. It's like the story of the mason jar and how our preserves are made. First, when you have a mason jar and you want to do some canning, you've got to clean the jar. You have to sanitize it and make it make it purified and that's what Jesus' death did for us is it cleansed us and it purified us but how many know that when you're you're canning something they don't just hand out empty jars they actually fill it with something they fill it with preserves or or if your parents hated you like green beans and stuff like that they fill it and that's that's listen gal fresh green beans are good but green beans from a can or a jar they're just gross everybody should stop doing it but they take these jars and they, they fill it with something. And that's what his life does inside of us. When we receive his new life, the old is removed and something brand new is put inside of us. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone and the new has come. Because you are brand new. So let's get started with looking at his resurrection this morning. In Matthew 20.17-19, through 19, it says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. First, I want you guys to know that the, the death of Jesus wasn't a surprise to God. The death of Jesus wasn't even a surprise to Jesus. He actually foretold that it was going to happen. This was all part of God's plan, and Jesus knew that it was coming. Matter of fact, he actually came for this very purpose, was to, to give his life for every single one of us. And there's at least three other times that Jesus announces death. You can look in Matthew 12, 40, Matthew 16, 21, and Matthew 17, 22. Just in the book of Matthew, three other times he announced his own death. And I have to imagine this was incredibly difficult for the disciples to hear. Matter of fact, I don't have to imagine. I know because Peter in, in uh, Matthew 16, he, he began to rebuke Jesus and say, say it isn't so. And what did, what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You don't know what spirit that you are of. So it had to be tough for these guys. This was their mentor. This was their friend. They had been following him. And he says, no, I'm going to die. 
But it wasn't a surprise to Jesus, even though it was unbelievable and a surprise to his disciples. And matter of fact, the truth is, even for us today, it's hard for us to imagine what Jesus went through, particularly on those last days of his life. Now, I've seen the Passion of the Christ. Anybody here seen the Passion of the Christ? I've seen it once. I don't plan on seeing it again. It's not something that I, I, I enjoyed seeing, at least what he went through. And, and I, I believe that that was just a glimpse of what Jesus went through. Matter of fact, last Easter, I preached a message called True Love. And we, I spent some time going into rather great detail of what Jesus went through for us because I wanted people to recognize the kind of love that he had for us, what he was willing to go through. You know, sometimes in our heads, and even if you watch some TV shows about it, it doesn't seem like it was all that bad. You know, they spit on him, they made fun of him, and then he died. But he was tortured. He was beaten. If you've even seen or read about the, what they did to make those whips, they were little gatla, like pieces of bone on the end of those whips, multiple strands coming off those whips, and they would cut down to the bone on Jesus' back. He went through some incredibly awful and terrible things, and we can't even, most of the time, we can't even imagine it today because we don't see anything like that today. Today, even when we put people to death using the death penalty of that, it's still, we tried to make it humane. They were under no such obligation in those days. And he did that. For you and I, he was willing to do that. For you and I, the Bible says that he despised the shame for the joy set before him. And I want you to know the joy set before him was you guys. He was willing to go through all of that because he loved us. But he knew it was coming and he was willing. And he says that I'm going to be put there, going to condemn him to death. He's going to be mocked and flogged, crucified. But the important thing is that he was going to raise again on the third day. I find it fitting that we're, Easter is on April Fool's this year because I imagine that's what it was like. He thought he was dead, and then he walks out the, on, on Sunday and says, April Fool's, still here. In John 12, 27 through 32, it says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. It was his purpose to come. Verse 28 starts, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. It says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Another said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. You guys know that when Jesus walked this earth, he was a man just like you and I. God, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. But when he walked this earth, he dealt with the same things that we dealt with. The scripture says that he was tempted in every way that man was tempted, which is pretty rough if you think about it, because you and I are not tempted in every way. We have our own individual ways that the devil likes it. But he was tempted in every single way and resisted. But he was a, a man just like us, and he wasn't looking forward to what was about to happen. We know in the, the garden he was praying, and he was so distraught from it that he was, he was sweating blood. And he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus understood that he came for this purpose. He came for this, but he was still a man like us. He wasn't looking forward to what he was about to go through. 
But he understood it was the plan of God, and he understood that it was his purpose for being there. There's an amazing story about a Northwest Airlines flight that crashed on August 16th in 1987. Just after taking off from the Detroit airport, it crashed, and it killed 155 people, and there was only one person that survived. It was a four-year-old girl from Tempe, Tempe, Arizona named Cecilia. Anybody ever remember this story or heard this story? Four-year-old girl from Tempe, Arizona, only person that survived this crash. As a matter of fact, when they found her, they didn't even think she was on the plane. 155 people died, and she was completely unscathed. And what they found out was that her mother unbuckled her seatbelt when the plane was going down, and she went around to the front of her daughter, and she wrapped herself around her daughter. So when the plane crashed, the mother took the brunt of all the forces that came again and protected her daughter, and she's the only person that survived that flight. And the mother knew what was going to happen. She was willing to endure that pain, to endure death, to save her daughter. And Jesus' love for us is just like that. He knew what was coming. It was the plan all along, but he still endured everything so that we could be made brand new, to show his love for us. So even though that he was punished, even though that he was uh, scourged, even though that he was killed and he died, that we would not have to. Amen? And then it says that the voice of God was heard as he's telling this story. It was for those listening. It was for those who were there to know that Jesus was sent from God. The interesting thing is if you look at the life of Jesus, everything that happens to Jesus shows that he was sent from God, that he wasn't just some crazy guy out there making up stories, but there's time and time again, again, God shows evidence that he is with him. This was always God's plan. And even the resurrection itself was God's stamp of approval. How many know that if you die and and God raises you from the dead, that's a pretty, pretty good sign that you're on his side? And then he says that, He was going to be lifted up. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. This actually refers, he's referring to his death. When I am lifted up on a cross, I will draw all people to myself. And the reality is is that his love is what draws us in. His sacrifice draws us in. We're wondering who would do something like that for us. And the truth is, is that we need to share the reality that that job is done. That when he was lifted on that cross, our sins were paid for, we're 100% clean and forgiven. And in the same token, we need to lift up his name as well. So that others can see that very thing, that they might see what he did for them, so they might see his love. And 1 John 2, 1 through 2, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's always crazy to me, and this isn't the only time that we see that Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. You can read about it in Ephesians 1, 7. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 talks about it as well. But Jesus paid the price for the sins of the whole world. Many of us don't recognize that sin is dealt with. Sin is taken care of. You might be confused when you see 
so-called Christians standing on the side of the road telling people that, that uh, God is sending people to hell because they're, they're homosexuals or because they're having an abortion, they had an abortion because they do all these things. I want you to know that no one's going to hell for any of those things. Jesus paid the price for all of those sins. Someone that had an abortion, they can ask for forgiveness and they will be forgiven. Somebody that, is, that was homosexual, they can ask for forgiveness and for deliverance and they will be forgiven and delivered from those things. He has made us brand new in his son. And nobody's going to hell because of the sins that they've committed. The only reason that people are going to hell is because they don't receive the free gift of salvation, which is in Jesus Christ. They're paid for. The sins of the whole world are paid for. People just have to accept it. The problem is, is so many people want to pay for them twice. If you ever went to a restaurant and the, the table next to you decided to pick up your check, how many of you would be like, no, no, I'm going to pay for it as well. We'll, go, we'll both go ahead and pay for this dinner. That's what we do when we reject Jesus Christ. As our sins are paid for. We say, no, no, I'd like to go ahead and take care of that myself. That's not a price that you want to pay. Something else when we're lifting up the name of Jesus is let them know that they have an advocate in the Father. If they do mess up, it's not the end of the world. The scripture says the righteous man gets up seven, Paul seven times and gets up seven times. It's just as easy as getting back up and putting your eyes back on Jesus. We have to tell them if they sin, they have an advocate. We have to tell them that he was the one sacrifice for all time. And he has perfected each and every one of us that are in him for all time. He was lifted up and paid the price for all failures so that we don't have to. Amen. In Luke 24, 1 through 7, it says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, did they, not, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and to be crucified, and on the third day, rise. You know, the empty tomb was proof that Jesus was who he said he was. That was God's stamp of approval. And in Matthew 28, we saw that an earthquake happened and the angels rolled the stone away from the tomb. You guys know why the stone was rolled away? Well, it wasn't to let Jesus out. It was so that we could see in. So that we could see that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the grave. That exactly what he said would happen, happened. You know, that's the thing is, many of us need to really just start being crazy enough to believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he's going to do. That Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what he said he did. We need to be crazy enough to believe that. And that's what happened here. These, these folks showed up. With their spices, they're going to finish preparing Jesus for burial. And the angels are like, what are you looking for him, for him here for? That wasn't good grammar. <laughs> they're like, what are you looking for him here for? Why are you looking for Jesus? Why are you looking for the dead? Or looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. And then he says, remember how he told you while he was here that he would rise again? Don't you remember? 
Don't you remember when Jesus told you exactly this would happen? Have you forgotten already? And the angels give him a rebuke. And the funny thing is, is we do the same stuff all the time. We're like, yeah, crazies, don't you remember? But we, we don't even think about all the times that we forget what Jesus or God has said about our lives. When we're sick, we ask God, why is this happening to me? Because we forgot that by his stripes we have been made whole. When we're struggling financially, we ask, what's going on, God? And we forget that he said, I know the plans that I have for you. When we are afraid, we forget that he's not given us a spirit of fear. And when we succumb to temptation, it's because we forget that we are new creations in Christ. We forget just as often as these folks did back then. You know, that's what the scriptures are there for, is for us to look into the, these, the, the lives of these people and, and learn from it. Let's not forget, folks, what he did for us. And the truth is, is that when they come upon the tomb over the years, many things have been said about this empty tomb. Some say he was stolen. There are people that argue, matter of fact, that that is the, the story that if you can even read about it, that the, uh, the soldiers went to the, to, the, to the Jewish leaders at the time and they said, you know what, just say that his disciple came and stole him and we'll lie for you. So that's one of the stories that he was stolen. You know why that, that doesn't hold any water? Because there was a broken people who saw Jesus die. Christianity was destroyed at that point, and then all of a sudden it resurges from nowhere. And we're going to see that's not the only thing, but, but people saw Jesus rise from the dead. People, people were encouraged because Jesus wasn't dead, and, and Christianity surged. You want to know the easiest way to stop Christianity at this point? was produced the stolen body of Jesus. It's not been produced because it doesn't exist. Jesus rose again. Some people say, no, he wasn't actually dead. He just swooned. Like he passed out on the cross and they wrapped him up in a hundred pounds of spices. Can you imagine that? You guys seen the, uh, the cinnamon challenge? That's like a teaspoon of spice in your mouth and people are almost dying because of it. He was wrapped in a hundred pounds of spices and put in a tomb. Like, oh no, he was just, he was just passed out. The fact is, is that Jesus rose from the dead. This is not a, a great story. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a myth. This is a historical fact. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose from the dead. He was alive. The angel made it clear. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And the fact that he was raised from the dead is God's stamp of approval that he is who he said he was. Amen? And in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Like I said, the scripture foretold what was going to happen to Jesus. All this happened in accordance with the scripture. He died in accordance with the scripture. He was buried and raised in accordance with the scripture. This was all according to God's word. It was all according to God's plan. And it wasn't just to forgive man, not just to, to wipe away our sins and ignore what's going on, but it was to make us brand new. And he died for our sins 
and they are paid for. There's nothing more that we can do. Nothing more is required, and there's nothing more possible for us to do. Every year on the Friday before Easter in the Philippines, young men have a brief, they, they imitate Jesus Christ. They actually, there's young men that volunteer to have themselves nailed to a cross. And they're lifted up, and they, they, they have nails drawn through their feet and through their hands, and they're lifted up on these crosses. And these men, they're known as Christos, and they're, they're expressing repentance of their sins by torturing themselves. And it says the yearly reenactment of the Via Crucis or the way of the cross features the mock crucifixion of at least 10 men and the flagellation of another 500 Filipinos. And actually the, the local church there, the local church leader strongly discouraged this practice. And this actually began in the 1950s. It's still happening today. Actually, it's turned into more of a tourist attraction than anything right now. But the problem is, is that they don't need to inflict pain on themselves to repent. The price has already been paid in Jesus. And the truth is, even if they wanted to pay the same price that Jesus paid, they're not even coming close on that walk because Jesus was separated from God. None of us have been separated from God. As long as you're alive, God is still around. Those who don't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there will be a day when they are completely separated from God, but it's not right now. These guys have no idea what Jesus went through, and they're not even coming close to paying the, the price that Jesus paid for us. And I totally lost my place. I apologize. The truth is, is that Jesus Christ paid the full penalty for our sins, and there's nothing that we have to do to add to it. There's nothing that you can do to add to it. And the truth is that you've heard it says that Jesus plus nothing is everything, but Jesus plus anything is nothing. When you try to add to it, you actually tear down what Jesus has done. You actually devalue what Jesus Christ has done because you're basically saying is that Jesus did a pretty good job, but I'll go ahead and take care of the rest. Thanks, God. And the reality is when we were talking about, you know, the different arguments that people have that the, the, why the tomb was empty, that Jesus didn't actually rise, this is another one that I think is a telling point of why the resurrection actually happened because it says that first he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12 disciples, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So now we have Jesus appearing after his death to more than 500 people. Which isn't, if that's not crazy enough, you can say, oh no, Paul's just lying. But I want you to know that when Paul is preaching this message, at least some of those 500 people are still alive. If Paul was lying, if Paul wasn't telling the truth, don't you think a few of those people would have came out and said, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's lying about it. The truth is, is that never happened. You say, well, how do you know that never happened, Pastor Wayne? Well, one, the Bible doesn't record it. And you can say, well, that's because it's the Bible. Of course they're not going to record the bad stuff. I don't know if you've read the Bible, but they record all kinds of bad stuff in the Bible. People doing dumb stuff. People doing crazy stuff. I mean, if I was going to be in the Bible and I didn't want people to know about the bad stuff that I did, and I was King David, I'd be like, can you leave out the part where I committed adultery and then had, had the husband killed? Moses could say, could you leave out the part where I killed the, the, the Egyptian slave? That's one of the, the great proofs of the textual accuracy of the Bible is that they don't sugarcoat anything. They tell it how it is. 
altered histories only show the good. But this one shows the good and the bad. Even of the, of the disciples, Peter. Like if I was Peter, I'm like, could you, could you leave that part out where I denied Jesus three times? The fact that they put that stuff in there is evidence of the accuracy of the Bible. But if that wasn't enough, this stuff is all talked about in secular writings. People don't know Jesus was just a myth. No, he's talked about in secular writing. He was a real person that lived. His resurrection is talked about in secular writings, although in some disbelief, but it's still mentioned. This stuff actually happened. In 1 Corinthians 15, 12-19, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain and we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The reality is, is that without the resurrection, we are lost. We have nothing without the resurrection. Without the rest of resurrection, Christianity is nothing because it, it is the pinnacle of our faith. And because of his resurrection, we have been raised with him in newness of life. And his resurrection, like I said, was proof that he was who he said he was. And we're also going to be raised with him when he returns. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Paul's making the argument if the resurrection didn't happen, then our faith is worthless. If it didn't happen, we're the most to be pitied, he said. But because of the resurrection, each and every one of us has hope. I read the story of a custom of, of African Muslims, and when somebody dies, they all gather around the body, and they put in a, a piece of, of candy in their mouth, and they all stand around the body, and they suck on the candy till it disappears. And they do this to represent the person's life. And when the candy is gone, they just turn around and walk away. Because to them, that's it. The life is over. The candy is gone. The, there's nothing else. There is no hope in that. But in Christ, we have hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26 says, But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep, for as by man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes to the end. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You know, death came into this world because of Adam. You read the, uh, in the book of Genesis, you read the story that many people want to say, oh, no, it was Eve. There wasn't an issue until Adam ate the fruit. 
And then at that point, death was introduced into mankind. And it was his sin that introduced death and pain and suffering and actually sin into our lives. Did you know that we were designed to live without even knowledge of evil, knowledge of sin? That's how we were designed. But then a mistake was made. And the reality is, is because of what Adam did, we are all born dead in our trespasses. And this seems kind of harsh, and it seems like, why would God make me be held accountable for something some guy did thousands and thousands of years ago? We make that argument, but the reality is, is that if that weren't the case, then one man couldn't pay the penalty for our sins. In one man, we all were, were condemned to die, but in one man, we are given a brand new life. And that man is Jesus Christ. The truth is, we have all failed in our own sin. We didn't need Adam to mess us up. <laughs> We've all done enough stupid stuff that we couldn't pay the price ourselves. And there's not one person who lived perfectly that could say, nope, I'll take care of mine. I don't want to be held responsible for Adam's. There's not one person that could say that it's Adam's fault that I don't measure up and not my own. But the good news is this is what the gospel is all about. Is that one man we're condemned to die, but by one man we're given brand new life. Jesus Christ gave his life for us so that we could have his and be made brand new. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When you receive Jesus Christ, you have him inside of you, and who's inside of us is greater than anything that's going on in this world right now. And when Jesus returns, we're going to reign with him. Death is going to be completely abolished. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will be completely done with, and we are going to live for eternity with him, at least those who have received him as their Lord and Savior. So how do we do that? How do we receive him as our Lord and Savior? Well, first, you have to be born again. John 3, 3 through 7 says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, if you don't know who Nicodemus was, he was really one of the best of the best. Nicodemus represented the best in the nation. He was a teacher, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. In the Sanhedrin, there were 70 religious leaders who were responsible for the religious decisions, and also under the Romans, they were responsible for civil rule. So now we have Nicodemus. He shows up. He comes at night to speak to Jesus, and maybe he was afraid of somebody that would, somebody would see him talking to Jesus. Maybe he was hoping that there would be less of a crowd. I don't know. Don't ask me all these questions. And he was respectful. He was calling him teacher. So that's a good thing, right? Nicodemus comes to him and he calls him teacher. So he's being respectful. He's not being disrespectful like many of the, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the time were. But he didn't really grasp who Jesus was. He didn't understand it. Now, I thank God that later he does. We find later that he's actually the one who defends Jesus. and then. Later after that, he helps Joseph bury Jesus. He even provides the 100 pounds of spices that are used to, uh, to wrap Jesus in. But here we see him, as, as Nicodemus begins to talk to him, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see 
the kingdom of God. And naturally, Nicodemus is confused, right? Because he's thinking, mom's not going to find that comfortable. I got to be honest with you. And he says, how can one be born again? Because he was thinking in the natural. He was thinking with the brain that he had been given. And Jesus says, don't marvel at this. And we know now, we, we understand that it's in Jesus that we can be born again. That's how you're born again. That's why the scripture says, first you're born of water, you're born naturally, and then you're born of the Spirit, which means that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The old man in you is dead and taken out, and you are given a brand new person to live inside of you. You are born again, just like a young baby. You have no past. You have no history. Jesus has paid it all, restored to the position that Adam was in. You were born again by his resurrection. I'm going to push forward a little bit here. And Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. To be crucified with Christ is to have your old self killed. He's dead. See, that's the thing about being born again is who you were were, no longer exists. That person died with Christ, and you were given Jesus' life inside of you. He's made you brand new. And when we struggle with sin, we would do well to remember that the one who desired sin is dead. If you were born again, that old person is gone. That's the whole picture of baptism is that, that we are dead, buried with Jesus, and when you rise out of the water, you rise in newness of life. So how are we dead? How have we been crucified with Christ? It's not like the Filipinos who are doing it to themselves, but instead we do it by faith. Christianity is a, is a religion of faith. And by faith, we are crucified with Christ. By faith, it is no longer the old person that lives where we're made brand new. We're born again. There was once a little girl named Katie, and she went to go visit her pediatrician. And the doctor sat down, and he puts his little scope in her ears, and he looks in there, and he says, Will I find Big Bird in there? She says, No. And then he moves on and he puts the scope in her throat and he's looking down her throat and he says, will I find the cookie monster in there? And the little girl's, no. And then he goes and puts a stethoscope on her heart and he says, will I find Barney in here? And she looks at him with innocent conviction and she says, no, silly, Barney's on my underwear. You'll find Jesus in there. See, that's the thing is, we have to have Jesus in our heart. We have to have that new spirit inside of us. And it's so easy to become jaded of the fact that Jesus died for us. It's so easy to become jaded and, and, and forget that, that he gave his son for us. Because the truth is, is how do you comprehend that kind of love? I have a son. If it was up for me, and Blake was the one that had to die, that you could live. I don't know if you'd make it. Because <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine giving my son. But that's how much God loved you, that he gave his only son for you. Who, who can comprehend that kind of love? 
In 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is actually where we get the name of our, our church from, Living Hope Family Church, because we are born again to a living hope. And through his resurrection, we are born again. Through his resurrection, we are made brand new. We're not just at just having our sins wiped away, but continuing to live in sin because nothing's been done. But because we are given a new life, we are forgiven, we are free, we are made brand new, we can finally live the life that God has called us to live. That's the beautiful thing about what, Jesus, or what God did with Jesus. It's because he's able to completely forgive us, to cleanse us, to make us whole, to make us brand new, but he's able to do it without compromising who he is. You see, God could have just said, you know what, I'm going to forget about those sins. I'm just going to ignore them. But the moment that he does that, he's not just anymore. He's no longer God. He would have to compromise to just ignore our sins, to wipe them away that way. So instead, he sent his son to make the payment, to fulfill the requirement. And he gave everything for us. Like I said, I wouldn't give my son but I'm so thankful that he gave his. And I'm so thankful that we've been made brand new. And church, I want you to know that is the power of the resurrection this morning. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah.